Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello and welcome back, everybody, for another installment of Abide in Liberty. My name is Braden Hayes. I am looking forward at some of the topics that I wanted to address. Um, I realize that there is a very common counter-argument to most of them, and so I want to get out in front of that. I want to address that one up front. You know, in in today's society, there are so many battles that we're fighting. Freedom is under attack on so many different fronts. And many of these attacks you can't call anything but evil. And one of the one of the common counter-arguments or the common positions that those who are espousing evil practices or evil behaviors is that you can't legislate morality. So that's what we're going to tackle today is the idea of legislating morality. You know, so let's take the example of abortion. An anti-abortion position is a Christian moral principle. So you can't make abortion illegal because that would be legislating morality and establishing Christianity as the religion for the United States. Now, the problem with this idea of you can't legislate morality is that there is no secular replacement. Any atheist might say, well, are you telling me that if I'm not religious, I can't be moral? That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, uh, quite the opposite. Atheists and people of all different walks of life and, and and religious beliefs can be moral. But what I'm saying is that there is no such thing as morality without religion and without faith. So even though the atheist can be moral, they are still adhering to a, a moral principle that is based in an understanding of something bigger and greater than self. Something supernatural, you might say, something um, godlike, something that is out there that you can't explain, that you can't touch, you can't measure with any instruments. There's something out there that says what is right and what is wrong. We'd all agree that murder is wrong. Well, why is that? Where where can we look to to see and prove that murder is wrong? Well, it's it's just something that we know. Now you might say that that comes from nature, that you know we can look to nature and it, it's a part of being a state of nature. Well, but actually, if you look at nature and if you look at the practices of many animals, you know the the phrase "it's a dog eat dog world" out there wasn't didn't come from nowhere. There are many animals that will kill and eat each other when necessary. You know, a wolf pack is led by a dominant alpha, right? One that is stronger, that is more fearsome than all the others. And that's the one that wins. The the wolf that comes forward and overthrows that dominant dog, that dominant wolf becomes the alpha. So by that moral code and by nature, then John Wilkes Booth would be Abraham Lincoln's rightful successor to the presidency of the United States. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So then if we can't look to nature for where this concept and this innate understanding of right and wrong comes from, then where does it come from? 
we have to look at something outside of nature, something above nature, something beyond nature, something that's transcendental. In our high school class at Liberty Youth Academy here in uh, Southern Arizona, our high school students this past month in January were reading the classic Robinson Crusoe. Um, I've been doing my best to follow along with them and read these with them as they've been reading them, and I have absolutely loved that experience, and Robinson Crusoe is no exception. I've read this before, but I had forgotten just how inspiring that book was. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it to you. In in this book, um, you know, it's uh, most people know the premise. I'm not going to give away the ending here, but Robinson Crusoe is a gentleman who gets stranded on an island somewhere off the coast of, he believes, the Americas, maybe off the coast of Brazil. And while he's there, he has a spiritual awakening where he analyzes his prior life that he had spent seafaring and kind of all over the world. And he recognizes that he had been living a life of sin and wickedness. He had not been following the Christian moral code that he had been taught and raised with in his home over in Europe. And while he's abandoned, while he's on his own, while he's scratching out an existence for him on this island, one of the um, items that he's able to save from his shipwreck is a Bible. And after being there some time, he decides to crack it open. And what he finds in there is a sense of purpose and peace, a moral code that he begins to strive following. And as he does, he finds peace and he finds comfort and he finds joy even in this incredibly difficult circumstance. And he compares his prior life where he was around all the people that he could possibly want, but he was participating in this sinful life that he was living. He compares that with what many people would see as obviously a less than ideal position, a worse position than he was in before. And yet somehow, despite this terrible thing that's happened to him, he's happier and he's more at peace than he's ever been before. Now, during his time on this island, he comes to realize that on another part of the island, far from where he's been, he's been there for a very long time, but far from where he kind of set up his base, um, there were people... Uh, cannibals from the mainland that occasionally would make their way onto shore in this one particular location, and they would eat their captives that they would take in battle, whether that's on the mainland or on the oceans. They they take them prisoner, and they'd come to this one place and have a little feast. And so he discovered all these bones of humans. So it kind of brings up an interesting question. He he kind of starts to grapple with this idea of a moral code that he was not following before. He's found happiness and joy and peace amidst incredible trial and difficulty by living a Christian moral code. And yet he wants to help uh, these cannibals. He considers at one point holding them to the moral code that he has discovered and punishing them if they're not following something that they probably are not familiar with at all and never have even heard of, right? A moral code that is so foreign and alien to them um, that they would have absolutely no concept of what he would even be talking about and why they, why they would be in trouble with this guy. So it begs the question, and I pose it to you, 
are all moralities equivalent? Are all moral codes and all moral senses of right and wrong equally valuable? And I think, and I hope we can all come to the same conclusion that absolutely not. Um, Robinson Crusoe, as he's looking at these people who cannibalize each other, that is not a superior moral code. And I think we can all agree that whether you become accustomed to it or not, whether it's a practice, a, uh, a barbaric practice that you've just become desensitized to, doesn't make that an okay practice, doesn't make that right somehow. And you know, uh, you look no further than the fruits of the civilizations that engage in these practices to see um, how these moral codes or lack of moral code um, don't lead to good outcomes. In every situation where you have people that degenerate to this level of depravity, you're, you're not living a productive and prosperous lifestyle. Often it's very harsh. There's little to no technological advancement. You're taken back to the Stone Ages and you kind of end up with a stagnant, warring, um, you know, round of bloodshed kind of a kind of a deal. And it's not not pleasant. When you look to the Book of Mormon, you see the same thing. The Nephites were prospering, they were building, they were progressing until they became so depraved that they began to degenerate into this society of, again, cannibalistic activity. And eventually they break down into just warring tribes. And when when you're constantly moving from one war to another, when you're you're constantly concerned for your own safety, there's no time for the arts. There's no time for for kindness and developing loving family relationships. There's no time and energy for um, for writing uh, writing music. There's no place for scientific discovery and advancement that takes generations to perfect because you're just trying to survive the next week and the next day. It is absolutely no accident that the moral code, the Christian moral code that was enshrined in our founding documents here in the United States, and all the laws that were appended to it led to prosperity that is unrivaled in human history. You cannot find a a time and a place when... um, when Christian morality was practiced more fully and was given legal protection more completely. but And you also can't find a time in human history where there has been so much scientific advancement, so much medical advancement, so much improvement of the human condition, so much increase in happiness, decrease in disease. It's just, you can't find it. And those two things moving in parallel is no accident. There is a causal relationship there. And you see that in every episode of human history that we know of. When people are following good moral principles, they're prosperous, they advance, things are good. And when they don't, it devolves into chaos, anarchy, and just barbarism. You know, and not only that, but, um, you know, this idea that you know, somehow by adopting a Christian moral code, um, we're restricting religious freedom. It is precisely that Christian moral code 
that led the founders to adopt a, a, a position of freedom of religion, of wanting everybody to have the ability to worship according to the dictates of their conscience. That is a Christian ideal. That is a Christian fundamental. And it was because of their Christianity that they wanted people to be able to exercise their God-given free agency and choose who they would worship, how they would worship. And it created this environment where people from all over the world could come and worship how they wish. It was precisely because of Christian morality that America became a melting pot for people and races and beliefs from all over the world. It wasn't in spite of Christianity that all of these other religions came to take root and grow and thrive in the United States. It was precisely because of Christianity that that was able to happen. And it's also no accident that as we have adopted a new moral code, as we have moved away from this Christian morality, our leading status in the world has diminished. We are falling behind academically. We are falling behind technologically. We're falling behind socially. We're falling behind on practically every metric that there is where we try to capture and measure human happiness. Our people are becoming more and more miserable. As they become more and more immoral, they become more and more miserable. And that is no accident. Again, that there is a causal relationship there. So back to the question, is it actually right and and moral and constitutional to legislate Christian morals, to imbue our body of law with Christian morality? And of course it is, because Christianity is about maximum free agency and free will. The Constitution is about the exact same thing. They work in tandem. There is no way to not legislate morality. Because you have to choose and decide what right and wrong is. And and who decides that? Is it really just arbitrary that we all just say that murder is wrong, but we could change that? And we don't actually believe that. Nobody truly believes that. So where does that, where is it that that's actually wrong when, you know, in, in, in nature and in the animal kingdom, that's perfectly common for something like that to happen, for you to kill the the thing or the the animal that has what you want or that holds a position of authority that you want, you kill them, you get rid of them. Well, we don't believe that. Why? Where does that come from? It comes from somewhere beyond us. So you can't not legislate morality. You have to choose what right and wrong is. The question is, which morality do we choose? I think as Christians, we've fallen into the trap of thinking We've fallen victim to Satan's lie that if we impose our moral code on our society, we are somehow also imposing our religion on them. But guess what? Somebody's morality has to win. And in a country that has been majority Christian for centuries, we've somehow let the minority morality win. In our desire to not impose our moral code on others, we have allowed them to impose their moral code or lack thereof, on us. And quite frankly, personally, I do want to impose my moral code on this country because history shows and experience shows and scripture shows and everything that is right and good shows 
that happiness and prosperity will come from it for everybody. I want every person in this country, even if they are so lost that they don't see how this will benefit them, to experience that happiness, to experience that stability, to experience that peace of conscience and mind and soul that comes from following a Christian moral code. I want this for everybody because I know what happens to civilizations that don't follow this moral code, and it means a loss of freedom, it means a loss of happiness, and it means a very nasty picture for everybody. Those who do prescribe to a Christian moral code and those who don't. Let's not kid ourselves that one of those moral codes winning somehow violates freedom of religion. Freedom of religion was always about not setting up a specific religion as one that is preferred politically, one that exercises extra power over those that don't. But that doesn't mean that, so let's take an example. You know, if if uh, some religion were to come in and have a statue of a penguin with an altar in front of it and they were sacrificing children on it, we wouldn't allow them to just slaughter their children like that because that's their religious belief. Because in the West, our moral code, which has its foundation in Christianity, says that child sacrifice is an evil abomination. Now, I want to take one quick look at an example that shows what happens when you do depart from God's moral code. When you allow, when we as believers allow a different morality to take root and to take hold. I said that we would never allow child sacrifice to a penguin God. Yet as we have moved away from Christian morality, we actually have adopted a religion that allows child sacrifice. And that is the religion of abortion. Now, the, the God that those children are sacrificed to isn't a statue of a penguin, but it is to the God of career. It is to the God of, I don't want to be accountable for my own actions. It is to the God of convenience. It's to the God of narcissus. This was a Greek God who um, loved nobody and nothing until he saw his own reflection in a pond. You know, the temples and chapels of this religion can be found at Planned Parenthood. It can be found in medical offices around the world. And the altar, it's a medical examination table. Now, I bring this up just to show how important it is for morality to be a part of our legal system. It can't not be. And what has happened is we've created an environment that has allowed practices that are depraved, that are evil to creep into our society, and we are reaping the rewards of that in depression, in the rise of suicide rates, in the increase in crime, and the general unhappiness and de-evolution of our society. The sad thing is that the number of people who believe in a Christian moral code is quickly dwindling. I think we still have a majority in this country. And if every one of us were to stand up for what God says is right, we live in a republic where majority rules, we could right this ship. My fear is that if we don't do something now, 
we're in real big trouble if we reach a point where the majority want what's evil, where the majority want what's wicked. And when that really takes root, the scriptures are not optimistic about what the outcome is there. It's time to stand up, it's time to wake up, and it's time to be on God's side again. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.